Good afternoon. I'm Brent Holland. Welcome to the show. This afternoon, Harvey Kishore. I like this guy. I like this guy a lot. Harvey Kishore, of course, spent 15 years of his life investigating the Schreiber-Mulroney Airbus scandal. 15 years, folks. Up against all odds, personal threats to both him and his family. But he stood strong. He just put his head down and barreled through. Why? Because he believed in the truth. Harvey Kishore. Yeah, I think a part of it is I'm a very stubborn person. I also believe in justice, and I have this strong sense that I think, of, as most of us do, I knew that all this money disappeared. I knew that it wasn't appropriate. I knew that Airbus had did this to try and get its deal done, and there were these unanswered threads. I would had a $35 million lawsuit leveled against me and the CBC, and mm-hmm. this was like overwhelming for a young... I was a young investigative journalist back then. I was in my uh, early 30s. It was an overwhelming experience. When you're sued by that much, and it's by a former prime minister, it's, it is intimidating. I'm not going to lie. It's intimidating. At one point, Balroni's spokesperson, I met him at a meeting in Montreal. I'll never forget it. He said to me, I know about your brother. And then he said, I know about your father. These guys have lots of money behind them, powerful forces. And if they wanted to investigate my family, I knew they could. This afternoon, Harvey Kishore, arguably Canada's best investigative reporter, right now on Brent Holland. Speaking with a very important person this afternoon, Harvey Kishore. Now, if that name is familiar, it should be. As you all know, he has been a producer for The Fifth Estate on the CBC. We're talking about his new book today, The Truth Shows Up, a reporter's 15-year odyssey tracking down the truth about Mulroney. Oh, yeah, we're going to get into that. Schreiber and the Airbus scandal. Now, what's unique about this book already, folks, is that it was embargoed up until today, I believe. Is that right, Harvey? A few days ago, yeah. Now, that's a red flag in itself. Why was it embargoed? Well, I think that the uh, publisher uh, felt that there was some new information, and I agree, in the book, which sheds a lot of uh, new light on the secret relationship between Carl Heinz Schreiber, who we all know now, of course, and former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney, and the cast of changed hands. What was that new information? I talk in detail about what I would call the biggest spin campaign ever to hit Canadian politics. I mean, if you remember back in 19. 19- 
1995, Brian Mulroney sued the federal government over a letter it had written to the Swiss wanting to get inside some bank documents. And after Mulroney testified that he had never had any dealings with Carl Heinz Schreiber, we discover later on that in fact he had had dealings. In fact, he'd met in hotel rooms, taken cash, in envelopes, $1,000 bills. My story takes us through the inside story of how that truth got out and how we found out about that story. Folks, we're speaking with Harvey Kishore today. His book, The Truth Shows Up, and talking about the Mulroney Schreiber Airbus scandal. I'm going to set it up in just a second, but I just want to let you know how to get this book. www.brenthollandshow.com website. Click on the book cover, as always, folks where you can order it from the comfort of your own home. Now, let me try and set up this whole Schreiber thing for those students that are new to this. It's a little bit convoluted, but it's simplistic in its nature nonetheless. In the 80s, Mulroney was prime minister. What happened was Air Canada is a crown corporation, which means it's kind of like the CBC. It falls under the federal umbrella. They were going to make a purchase of new airplanes. It came down to a decision between Boeing airplanes from the United States or an Airbus from Europe. So both companies were vying for these lucrative, I think it was 300 million dollar contracts. 1.8 billion dollar contracts. Billion dollars, forgive me. And uh, that's a wackadoo. What happened in Europe is it is very, very common or was common in Europe for kickbacks. What companies would do was hire somebody to represent themselves and to go around and lobby politicians and all the decision makers for these contracts, give them a piece of the pie after. This is what Airbus did. They hired a guy by the name of Carl Heinz Schreiber to go over to Canada, come to Canada, and throw around what they call grease money to try and grease the wheels, if you will, to outright bribe politicians to make the decision to buy the Airbus. And this is where we go with Mulroney, because it is believed, I won't say alleged, that's too strong a word, but it is believed that indeed Prime Minister Brian Mulroney received a kickback, which is completely illegal here in Canada, for the purchase of these Airbuses. Air Canada decided to go with the Airbus after all. Is that kind of sum it up accurately? Yeah, we have to be careful about saying it was an actual kickback, but absolutely what we learned was that Mulroney received cash from the Airbus grease money pot. You know, there's a wonderful word in German they call it Schmiergelder. Mm -hmm. And you don't really need to translate the word. Schmiergelder means grease money. And you're quite right. This was actually quite illegal in Germany at the time, was to make these secret commission payments to foreigners as a way of selling German and European products abroad. The problem was not that it was illegal in Germany, but it might be not legal for the people who got the money. So Schreiber set up this myriad of secret offshore accounts so that the money trail could never be found. I mean, that was the theory. And my story, my 15-year story, is actually about one of those secret money trails. This story lifts the veil off murky parts of how business and politics works in this country and works in the world. And we're very fortunate to have gotten this look inside this world because Carl Schreiber's accountant, a guy named Giorgio Plasi, back in 1994, actually went public with some of these documents. Not all, but he had the beginning of the piece the puzzle, which showed that, as we said, this grease money went into these um, accounts in Liechtenstein. Okay, what I'd like to do, because there's a lot of journalist students, budding journalist students listening to the show right now, the demographic, this show is broadcast through the university system. What I want to do is show the budding journalists what it takes to be an investigative reporter of your caliber, because I believe you have a very high standard. I think it'd be a perfect role model for students across the country to adhere to. 
Okay. What is a starting point for an investigative journalist? What was your starting point for this? You had just mentioned a whistleblower. Is that primarily yeah. where stories come from, whistleblowers? Well, exactly. And I should say, too, by the way, I went to Carleton University and studied mm-hmm. journalism in the 1980s, and it was the best thing I ever did. It was a good training ground. In my fourth year investigative journalism class, I had as my professor a guy named John Sawatsky. He had done a series of investigative books on the RCMP, and he taught us this kind of methodology which said, look, you know, facts are supreme. Investigative journalists are journalists who actually try and avoid opinions and avoid analysis and try and get the facts out. And so you're quite right. In 1994, I was doing another story. And this is so often how you get your next stories. People often ask me, how do you get your stories? And it's always if one leads to another. And I was working on a story about bribes paid in the Bahamas on the purchase of their aircraft. And I was talking to a losing bidder on the Bahamas air deal. And I said to him, were you ever asked to pay bribes? And it really struck me what he said. I'll never forget it. He said, you know, we we were asked to pay bribes, but once we factored into the price, the bribes that we were being asked to pay, we wouldn't have made any money on the deal. And I remember being so naive at the time thinking, he wasn't saying no because they might have been illegal. He was saying no because it wasn't, didn't make mm-hmm. good business sense. <laughs> and that... And and that got me into the whole world. And he started to give me an education on the airline industry. And he said, look, paying bribes is just a way of doing business in the airline industry globally, except for North America. He said it was like in Africa, the Middle East, the Far East, everyone had to pay bribes. It was just a fact of life. But there was kind of an unwritten code. You don't pay bribes in North America. And what he said to me that day back in 1994, he said, there was a rumor that the Airbus broke that unwritten code. And the Airbus had to sell planes. They couldn't crack the North American market. They're on the brink of bankruptcy. And so they, they launched this very ambitious, if not corrupt plan to sell airplanes. And so, you know, this story, it might seem on the one hand old and a long time ago. I argue it's very relevant to today. We had a big inquiry last year. We found out that all kinds of money disappeared. And as you remember, the inquiry into the Airbus affair got so restricted, you couldn't actually ask a question about Airbus. And so I'm making the argument that this story is as relevant today as it ever was, that our political institutions need work work. They are not well. Hopefully by being an investigative journalist and if we're talking to students who are considering getting into this field, you know, I highly recommend it if you have a sense of public duty towards your country and towards where you think our democracy should function. I agree completely with you. We're speaking with Harvey Kishore today. His book, The True Shows Up, Reporter's 15-Year Odyssey. It's his full story, folks, of how he unraveled all the inner workings of the Airbus scandal, tracking down the truth about Mulroney, Schreiber, and the Airbus scandal. We have to be ever prudent about our government. Democracy is fragile at best, and we have to take a proactive approach to democracy. The government is us. We are the government. They serve us, not the other way around. And that's something that we forget very often. You can get the book very easily, www.brenthollandshow.com. As always, click on that book cover. You can order it right there. It should be there in two, three days, depending on where you are in the country. You received threats to your family. Let's talk about that. Yeah, there was a period in this story when I write about this in the book, I almost gave it up. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, of course, I'm glad I didn't. Uh, but at the time, we were the fifth estate. We were being criticized for being on a vendetta against Mulroney, that we were being, quote unquote, obsessed, that we were out to get him. All these things that weren't true, but it became very personally, you know, uh, aimed towards us. And uh, at one point, Mulroney's uh, spokesperson said to me, um, I, I met him um, at a meeting in Montreal. I'll never forget it. He said to me, um, I know about your brother. And then he said, I know about your father. 
And I kind of laughed and I said, what's your point? And he said that we can investigate you too. That's when I said the moment of clarity was that he was right, that these guys have power, lots of money behind them, powerful forces. And if they wanted to investigate my family, I knew they could. And I started to realize this was a different kettle of fish I wasn't used to working in an environment where I'd be investigated. It was a challenging time. That's very ominous, pure intimidation. And as you say, they threatened many, many lawsuits, not only personally against yourself, but also against the Fifth Estate. And right. thank goodness the Fifth Estate had the wherewithal and a terrific, terrific legal staff. And I would like you to mention his name specifically and talk a little bit about Daniel. Danny Henry is the kind of lawyer that a journalist admires because he shows some courage. Now, Danny's a big believer in the law and he wouldn't do anything that wasn't appropriate, but he also is a big believer in the public's right to know. He was always trying to find ways of making sure that we were A, careful, but also put out on the public agenda very important matters. I'll give you an example. Back in 1999, we had obtained bank documents from Schreiber's secret accounts from a secret source in Switzerland. And there was a coded account there. And the account was called Britain. We all know this now, B-R-I-T-A-N. Because Schreiber had already named coded accounts after other public figures in Germany, I wondered whether Britain referred to Brian, as in Brian Mulroney. We broadcast that account on the fifth estate, even though we didn't know where the money ended up, because we firmly believe that by putting information out on the public agenda, we would help create a discussion and dialogue about what that money was for. And sure enough, after our story, we realizing that that account was indeed set up for Brian Mulroney. One of Canada's best journalists, folks, Harvey Kishore, if not the best, the book, The Truth Shows Up, readily available chapters and you go across the country. Harvey, when you were with the fifth estate, you were receiving intimidation also externally from the government and lawyers, etc., etc. How did the Fifth Estate react to those? We've just discussed the legal department. How about your producers, your executive producers? My executive producer was always full square behind the story over the years. Now, of course, when you start doing the story back in 94, you don't realize it's going to take 15 years. But every time I went to him and said, I think I want to do another story or I want to do more research on this story, he always said yes. I think maybe it's self-serving to say this, but I really believe that without public broadcasting, the story would not have been told. I mean, this wasn't a story that made money for our advertisers or was so, so high in the ratings that, you know, we'd all make money off of it. This was a story that we knew was important. And sometimes the CBC, that's all that we need. The question isn't, are we going to sell, you know, cars or uh, cereal? Or are we going to do a story that's in the public interest? And this really was. And so they said, look, invest some time in this. In the course of 15 years, I think we did six stories. And every time we story closer to, the, to our understanding of the truth. And so at the Fifth Estate, there was huge support. That doesn't mean that outside our program, there weren't questions. You know, people who didn't know the story would probably wonder. I remember one person sort of looked at me in the hallways and said, you know, you're making us all look bad. And that was because the spin campaign was so effective. I'd had a $35 million lawsuit leveled against me and the CBC. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, look, I couldn't afford my mortgage on my house at the time, let alone $35 million. Oh, I hear you, buddy. I hear you. <laughs> And so this was like overwhelming for a young, I was a young investigative journalist back then. I was in my uh, early 30s. It was an overwhelming experience. And there'd be occasions and it got so bad when, when you're sued by that much and it's by a former prime minister, it is intimidating. I'm not going to lie. It's intimidating. And you would wake up in the middle of the night and think, something's wrong. There's something wrong. And you realize, oh yeah, it's a lawsuit. It's a lawsuit. You know, $35 million. It wore on all of us. The stress must have been incredible on you, Harvey. Folks, our guest today, Harvey Kishore, the book, The Truth Shows Up. Reporter's 15-year odyssey, tracking down the truth about Moroni Schreiber and that damn Airbus scandal. Uh, But the pressure must have been incredible on you, Harvey, because here you are, like you said, you're 30 years old, you're just out of university a few years, you've got your whole career, you're looking in front of you. 
and yet they're intimidating you almost to the point where you're saying, gee whiz, is this worth it? Am I going to be sacrificing my future by sticking to this yeah. story? Yeah. And yet you had the chutzpah, the, uh, well, I'll say it, the balls to continue with this. What was the driving force inside you that inspired you to keep going on this story despite well, all the odds? Yeah, I think a part of it is I'm a very stubborn person. I also believe in justice and I have this strong sense of, I think, of, as most of us do, I knew that all this money disappeared. I knew that it wasn't appropriate. I knew that Airbus had did this to try and get its deal done. And there were these unanswered threads. Um, part of it was though something else. After we were sued, our reputations were so down in the tubes. I mean, we just felt like we'd been obliterated. Our colleagues thought that we'd made huge mistakes. We had to keep out the story in order to restore our own reputations. Like, we knew we weren't wrong. We knew we'd done the right thing. We knew we had more to learn. Folks, I just want to let you know, too, what happened was Carl Heinz Schreiber gave Mulroney cash payments after Mulroney was prime minister. Almost as if, uh, I hesitate to say it, almost like a, a payoff, something that could be hidden very easily by receiving some cash. We're not talking a few bucks here. We're talking close to $300,000, although Mulroney says only two hundred and twenty-five. Irregardless, they met in a coffee shop in the Queen Elizabeth Hotel, downtown Montreal, for one of those cash payments. Could you imagine just sitting there and receiving a couple hundred thousand dollars cash? And just saying, oh, well, you know, it's just one of those things. He was just paying me for something. This right. isn't like loaning somebody 20 bucks or 40 bucks or whatever. It's $200,000. Right. This is ludicrous. Right. When I began this research, I never thought in a million years that the former prime minister would have sat down with the middleman Schreiber in hotels, uh, one in New York City, by the way, and taken cash in $1,000 bills from the Airbus money. It's like, it never, ever occurred to me that would have happened, right? When we finally learned that this happened, it still took a long time for that story to come out because the spin campaign, as I say, was so successful. Media was afraid to report the story they knew to be true. I, in the book, I talk about how the National Post had the story. The reporter, Phil Mathias, had the story and they refused to publish it. It took a long time for the truth to come out because so many of our media institutions in this country were afraid to report what they knew to be the truth. Let's talk about that. The failure of the other media. I mean, if you hadn't carried this torch forward, the story would have died from all the intimidation and all the spin that was going around. Let's talk about the other media institutes, uh, specifically the National Post. As you said, they had the story and they refused to publish. Can we talk about the reasons why they refused to publish? Well, I can't get into their heads, but I can tell you what happened, and that sure. is that uh, throughout the 1990s, they wrote a series of stories and editorials condemning the Fifth Estate for its coverage, and I think they were so invested in trying to say the story wasn't true and that we were reckless that when it came out, the, there actually was this cash that changed hands and it came from these accounts. I don't think they had the courage to deal with it. That's what it comes down to. Now, in fairness to some of the other, you know, the Globe and Mail did eventually report that story that was refused by the National Post, so there was some courage shown as time went on, but certainly back in the 1990s, major media outlets were saying this wasn't a story and making fun of the people trying to advance it. When we did our Britain account story, the very day we did our story, the National Post did an editorial against the CBC saying that we had, quote, gone fishing, that the allegations this account was from Mulroney were preposterous and false and this kind of thing. And so it was overwhelming the reaction against our information. Folks, we're speaking to one of the best journalists in the country, if not the best, a great role model for everybody that's thinking about becoming a journalist. Harvey Kishore, he's been on the Fifth Estate. He's written all kinds of great stuff, an investigative reporter, top-notch stuff. 
The Truth Shows Up is the name of his new book, a reporter's 15-year odyssey tracking down the truth about Mulroney, Schreiber, and the Airbus scandal. Readily available at www.brenthollandshow.com. Click on that book cover. Take it right where you can order it. Let's talk some more, Harvey, if you will. If you were the prosecutor during the Oliphant Commission a couple of years ago, how would you have handled it differently than the prosecutor did that was there well, at the time? Well, that's a very good question, and thank you for asking, because um, it was, to me, almost an out-of-body experience sitting through that commission for two reasons. The first is, having spent 15 years trying to find out the truth of the story, we found out where $300,000 went. We never did find out what it was for, but what about the other $25 million? We know from Shriver's accounts that millions disappeared in cash. And imagine then, we finally get to the point that I've always dreamed of, where people who who refused to talk to me finally would be compelled to testify under oath about what they knew about their involvement in the story, right? And through a bizarre set of circumstances, the terms of reference for that inquiry were so narrow that one was not allowed to even ask a single question about Airbus. Imagine an investigation that began into Airbus and the millions of dollars that it paid morphed into an inquiry that, by the way, will cost taxpayers $15 million itself, morphed into an inquiry where you couldn't ask a question about Airbus. And to this day, when I tell that story, I still myself cannot believe that's what happened. I mean, these people were ready to talk, they were forced to talk, and they weren't asked the questions. My book is called The Truth Shows Up. What I argue in the last chapter is the truth was knocking at the door saying, here I am, to ask me questions, and Canadian politics shut the door on the truth. Well, this begs a question. How do you feel about Stephen Harper and how he handled it? Politics handled it poorly. You know, we have a minority government situation. Anybody, which gives a lot of power to the opposition parties now, they've got control of the committees. We know this. For some reason, I think every sort of political party decided to back away from this issue. I mean, it is true that Harper did not call the full-scale inquiry that some people wanted. But my question would be, okay, well, why didn't the opposition call back these same people and ask them the same questions? They have the power to do that. This story speaks a lot about politics in general, I think, and how there are some secrets that all parties want to avoid going down. And I think this is one of them. I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying everybody's involved in the story. I'm saying there will be some uncomfortable truth exposed that they would all rather us not really know about right now. Folks, our guest this afternoon, Harvey Kishore, top-notch Canadian investigative reporter, top-notch. Essential reading his new book, The Truth Shows Up for Every Canadian, it's essential reading. We've got to get behind this, folks, and get to the truth. And he's just spent 15 years of his life unraveling layer after layer, following lead after lead. Over the course of 15 years, it's affected his life, intimidation of his family, himself, lawsuits, etc., etc. Where there's smoke, there's fire. We need to be on top of this to protect our democracy. And I don't think that's too naive to say enough fellows have died, and women as well, on the shores of Normandy and the like, so that we can have that right. It's okay to be naive. I think naivety is a good thing. Otherwise, we become cynical and jaded, and we don't ask the right questions. And I think that's a good point, that we have a right to the answers for some pretty basic and simple questions. And in this case, it was, where did the money go? Canadians wanted to know. I mean, Canadians were deeply concerned about this story, I have no doubt. But in the middle some people shut down that line of questioning and, and that's where the real concern lies. Folks, the book, of course, The Truth Shows Up. Harvey Kishore is our guest. www.brenthollandshow.com Click on the book cover. Order this book. Will you do another documentary? 
I wrote in the book, I won't give away the ending, but the last line was, this time I believe it really is over. And I think I'll repeat that again. Uh, this time I think it really is over. But uh, I'm not convinced. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. It's uh, certainly been a great experience writing the book and to sort of have a bit of my own closure on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's still unanswered questions and that's uh, tragic. Yeah, It's absolutely tragic that we didn't go there. I think the points I make in my book, I think that result proves the point that our institutions need some repair. I mean, our, our federal institutions need some repair. Any political aspirations for yourself? Well, you know, I love being an investigative uh, journalist. My father was a politician, by the way, and I, you know, I, I for one, I don't believe that all politicians are crooks. I think most are hardworking and honest. I just think that where you have a lack of transparency and where you have um, secrecy and where you have abuse of power, that the people that are prone to that kind of behavior gravitate to that. And that's our job to shine light on dark corners of politics and Canadian politics, and that's what I hope I'm doing. So to answer your question, I think I'm doing what I want to do where I am, and um, you know, not to sound like a public service announcement, but thank goodness we have the CBC to be able to do this kind of thing. Folks, our guest today, Harvey Kishore, and he's an incredible investigative reporter, and it reminds me of the heady days of the CBC as well. Folks like Barbara Frum were there. They knew their stuff inside out. And, yeah, uh, oh, she was wonderful. And also, folks, this is a fellow that really cares about the story. He doesn't care about if his tie looks good or if he's reading the script on air properly or if his makeup looks good. You know, this is a real journalist a real reporter and that has to be admired the truth shows up is the name of the book final question for you harvey and i ask this to every guest that comes on the show you're virtually speaking to every canadian university student across the country international students as well what would you say to them i think i would say maybe what we said a little while ago that it's okay to be naive whatever your dreams are and your aspirations don't fall into the trap of becoming cynical about it all i would say if you're doing the kind of work i'm doing you're going to meet a lot of shady people a lot of dubious people a lot of dishonest people but Remember, most people actually are honest, and along the way, you're going to meet some pretty good people who want to help you out and want to help you get to the bottom of the story. And on this story, there were so many unsung heroes, people who helped me, who wanted me to get at the truth. And I'll just tell you one little story. In my book, I talk about a source I call Tower, and this guy was a conservative, and this guy believed in conservative principles, and he, but for good reasons. He believed in this is how he thought the country should work, but he did not believe in the Airbus scandal, did not believe in, in being unethical. And he took me aside one day and he said, Harvey, ask yourself one question. I said, well, what? He said, does this pass the smell test? And I said, well, what do you mean? He says, the Airbus deal it stinks. Keep on pursuing it. And it was that kind of person who I find sort of life-affirming moments from those kind of people who have no reason to talk to you, except they want you to know the truth themselves. And it's that kind of thing that keeps me going. I have another question for you. Did you finish the log cabin? <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. Funny, this summer, I'm going out. You're talking about the fact that I started building a log cabin. Uh, For your about, sons uh, in uh, Cortez a, Island. A cabin, mm-hmm. yeah, on, about five years ago. And I didn't know how to build anything. And I got my father's uh, construction book, and I learned how to pour cement and then make mm-hmm. the girders and the joists. And it's finally almost built. But this summer, I'm building the deck. And so it's almost finished. But I really pre- that's the best question I've been asked this entire book tour. <laughs> I love it. That's great. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. And yeah, it's been thank- wonderful. You know, thank you so much for your past 15 years. It's so essential to have folks like you out there. And it's actually refreshing and reassuring to know that there are folks that give a damn. And I think you do, too. Thank you so much, Brad. I really appreciate this. Thank you. You're very, very welcome. Take care, my friend. And any time in the future you want to come back on, you're more than welcome, even if it's only for five minutes to get a message out there. 
It would call be me mine. anytime. I'll give you. I'll give you anytime. That's that's great. Thank you so much. Thank you. I got to tell you a funny story. Um, sure. We were thinking about my tie and everything. I got an email one time after being on Newsworld, and it was from somebody. Um, this person said, "I didn't know him. Look at your tie." And I, I looked down, and I spilled coffee on my tie. We strike up a relationship. This guy who called, and uh, his name is Jim Valance. And I said, "Oh my, the, yeah." I said, "Are you, are you the Jim Valance? I think this is." And he goes. He says, I think so. Well, it was Jim Valens and Brian Adams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we've been having an email exchange. A really nice guy, really supportive of the story and everything, too. That's wonderful. Well, you're a very good interviewer. I really have to say that of all the ones I've done in the last two weeks, this has been one of the most enjoyable. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you, my friend. And your check is in the mail. Just keep looking (laughs) for it. Thanks, Brent. Really appreciate it. I want to thank Harvey Kishore for coming on the show this afternoon. And I think we all owe him a great deal of gratitude for his perseverance in tracking down the truth behind this story. Democracy, democracy and freedom have to reign supreme. Certainly, all of Canada is a better place today. Thanks, Harvey. Coming up on Brent Holland, it is a year since the Iranian election uprising. To commemorate that event, I have gone out and spoken with Persian Canadians. Now, the reason why I say Persian and not Iranian is because Persian Canadians want no association whatsoever with the Ahmadinejad tyranny reign. These are true stories, and they should not be overlooked, for they are our stories now. Right shortly after the revolution, there was a protest similar to this, but not as big. The young people in Iran, they wanted to change the government already, so there was a protest. And my cousin got caught and was one of those people that got uh, picked up. This is a personal experience, and he got seven years in prison in Evan. After seven years, one day somebody knocked on the, his parents' home. They gave the parents a pair of glasses and a watch and said, this belonged to, I'm not going to mention his okay. name, but to this day they don't know where he's buried, oh where what happened to the body, and what happened. This is my personal experience. This is my cousin that happened to, he was three years older than me. You go to a shop, to grocery store, and you see that they, they bombed the whole section, and then the square is gone, and there is no store. You're just uh, running for your life all the time. You can't sleep at night. I want to thank you all for listening. I'm Brent Holland. See you next time.